everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. My name is Avery Becklenberg, um, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm the executive pastor resident here at Discovery. Like Jimmy said, the original plan for this morning was that Steve was going to preach. Um, So when I got a message yesterday asking me to preach instead, I was pretty caught off guard. I've never preached before without weeks of preparation. Um, And so I immediately felt my heart rate increase by like 40 beats per minute. And my stomach was suddenly in knots and my mind was wild with thoughts like, what? I get to preach? (laughs) What do I know that you guys want to hear about? It took me like an hour to make a decision and respond to that initial message. As I first thought through my options, I noticed that rapid heartbeat, my spinning mind and tightening stomach. Those are all signs of anxiety. But what was I so anxious about? That's when I noticed a few common phrases swirling through my head over and over. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm gonna say something wrong. I don't know enough, I'm not enough. When I noticed those thoughts, things started to make sense. Honestly, I wasn't shocked because that's the track that plays in my mind almost every time someone asks me to go out of my comfort zone, try something new or do something hard. And I certainly do not mean to equate my experience preaching on a Sunday or anything else I've ever done in my life with Moses' experience leading people out of slavery. But the funny thing is, the Bible character that I'm going to tell you about today, Moses, seemed to have similar struggles with self-doubt that I do. Today I'm going to talk about Moses. And the scripture that I'll share is from Exodus 3 and 4. And it'll be on the screen for you guys all to follow along. So I'm going to jump right into the middle of Moses' story. So far, he's floated down the Nile as a baby, he's killed an Egyptian, he fled Egypt, and now he's living in the desert where he's married um, the daughter of a farmer and he is a shepherd. If you've heard about Moses before, you might be familiar with some of the other things he did later in his life, like become a leader for the Israelites and part the Red Sea and confront Pharaoh and all that cool stuff, and none of that has happened yet where I'm picking up in the story. So Exodus 3. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. So as I was preparing this message, I read a couple of commentaries about this passage, and something I learned that I thought was pretty interesting is that it's far less common in Colorado for bushes to spontaneously burst into flame as it is in the Middle East. There, actually, some conditions with dry climate and hot sand and extreme heat cause conditions where plants can dry out and even burst into flames. So this phenomenon that Moses experienced might have actually been more familiar to him than it is to us. He might have seen burning bushes before, but they didn't catch his attention like this one. Something about this was different. It made him curious, and he approached it. He got closer. Back to Exodus. God saw that Moses had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. 
Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can you put yourself in Moses' place here? Moses' day was just interrupted by an encounter with God. And in typical encounter with God fashion, it was pretty startling. First, a burning bush, which Moses might have been familiar with but hadn't really paid attention to before, drew his attention, and then Moses was called by the voice of the Lord. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had a day interrupted by something so simultaneously interesting and terrifying? That something in you was just inexplicably drawn to it? I have. And in my own experience, and in my understanding of Moses' story, I think it's pretty safe to say that God can use those feelings of simultaneous interest and attraction and fear and anxiety to communicate with us. I was sitting in a church in Denver one day when I first heard about the Casa de Paz. That's Spanish, and in English it means House of Peace. It's an organization in southeast Denver run by a woman named Sarah Jackson. I've met Sarah a few times now, and she is one of my top favorite people in the world. I would like to be like her. She's amazing. She started this organization when she was about 23 years old, and while I'd love to tell you all about the Casa's amazing origin story, I could talk about that forever, so I'm going to cut myself off and give you just the basics. But in essence, the Casa provides support to immigrants, specifically those who are detained in Aurora's ICE detention center. These detainees are people mostly men who come from all over the world. They arrive in the United States with no family, no money, um, no English, and no way to contact their loved ones. They're shipped from the border directly to Aurora, and most of them don't even know that they're in Colorado, or what Colorado is, for that matter, until a guard tells them. The function of the CASA has evolved over time, but currently, one of its main functions is to bring community into the isolating, violent, overcrowded, traumatic experience that is immigrant detention. Every day, volunteers from the CASA attend visitation hours at the prison. They sit with detainees for an hour at a time, and they get to know them and hear their stories. There's no agenda except to provide them a window out of prison and into community and belonging. That day at church, a representative of the CASA named Greg told the congregation about the church's partnership and invited more volunteers to get involved. When Greg explained the CASA and called for volunteers, I felt that push, that gentle but firm shove to explore further, that inexplicable, unshakable draw that I imagine Moses must have felt when he saw a bush burning in the distance and felt like he had to go closer. If my call to action was Greg's introduction to the Casa de Paz at church and his stories about the hurt and pain of immigrants in detention, then Moses' call to action was what came next, when God made himself known to Moses as he stood by the bush. God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I have come down to help them pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, 
Get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. God said to Moses, it's time for you to go. I'm sending you. And how did Moses react to God's commission for him? Was it with with enthusiasm? Did he bring out his adventurous, heroic self and declare, yes, Lord, I can do that? No. He responded with doubt. He responded with self-doubt, more specifically. Moses didn't believe that he was good enough for the intimidating task that God had put him up to. When I got home from church that day, the thoughts were already racing through my head. And just like Moses, I'd sidestep the obedient, I can do it monologue, and race straight ahead to who am I to think that I can spend hours speaking Spanish to men who are experiencing things that I can't even comprehend. God, if that nudge I felt was really you, then I must understand you less than I thought. That's crazy. But at that moment, I felt so called to volunteer with the Casa de Paz. I felt so simultaneously terrified, and I wish that I could just forget about it. Sometimes I wish that I could answer a call from God with, no thanks, and then he'd say, okay, just thought I'd check in. I'll send someone else. But unfortunately for us, that's not how it works most of the time. When Moses responded to God with self-doubt, God didn't let him off the hook, but instead he reassured him. God said, I will be with you. And then God gave Moses a set of signs and miracles to watch out for that would show him that God really was with him. But that reassurance and support wasn't enough to quell Moses' raging doubt. And Moses started asking a bunch of, what if this, what if that, what if I can't do it and everything goes wrong kinds of questions. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your fathers sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God continued with Moses. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has always been my name, and this is how I always will be known. This passage goes on for a while, this back and forth between Moses and God, so I'll offer a brief summary. If you'd like to hear more or hear more details, you can find that all in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. But essentially, God gave Moses his plan. Moses was called to lead God's people out of slavery, and that's a huge task. As soon as God finished laying out his detailed and beautiful and well-thought-out plan and telling Moses all the ways that God was going to provide for him, Moses answered him with more doubt. He asked God, what if they don't believe me? So, The Lord goes on to continue proving to Moses all the many ways that he will provide. 
God gives Moses tools to use and miracles to perform so that the Israelites will know that he is divinely inspired and that he will be a good leader. But still, even with all that guidance and counsel and miracles and even a friend to go along with him, Moses doubted God because he doubted himself. He worried that his human imperfections disqualified him from serving the Lord. So Moses raised another objection to God. He's getting creative. He's thinking of everything that he can to get out of this. He says, Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before you nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. And God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. And with all that to be said, Moses is still saying, Oh, Master, please send someone else. When I showed up at the detention center for the first time, I had that thought too. Lord, please send someone else. I can't do this. Going down security, going through security, handing over my passport, walking down the long, white, dull, sterile hallways, sitting down in front of a scratched window that must have been two to three inches thick and picking up a telephone to talk to the person on the other side who I'd never met. All that could go through my mind was, Lord, please send someone else. I can't do this. Now, I'll tell you the end of my story later, but the end of Moses' story is pretty well known. He answered God's call, and he bravely, if anxiously, and with great fear, leads the Egyptians out of slavery. And God was with him every step of the way. All of God's promises came true. Now, I know that's been a ton of scripture so far, so before we move on, I just want to give you a quick recap. First, God caught Moses' attention with a burning bush, a fire, something he might have seen before that wasn't too strange to him, but this one caught his attention. It drew him in. Two, God kept Moses safe. He let Moses get close to the flames, but stopped him before he got burned. Three, God showed up in the fire. The thing that drew Moses' attention, God was there. Four, God used Moses' interest in the bush to call him to an important, heroic, great task. And five, and here's where I really start to relate, Moses felt unqualified. He heard what God had to say, and he doubted himself, thereby doubting God as well. Throughout this story, we see Moses pushing back constantly against God, saying, I can't do it. And God said, oh, yes, you can because I'm here. And Moses says, well, I don't really trust it. I can't. I don't want to do it. And what I see through this story, throughout this back and forth and back and forth, is so much love and patience and provision. God gives us everything we need. He equips us, and he knows exactly how to challenge us by putting our past experiences and passions and anxieties to great use. For example, when God put the Casa de Paz in front of me, he knew how much it hurt to watch my own friends who don't have documentation fear for their lives, duck when we drive past the police station, fear going to hospitals, drop out of college and lose their athletic and academic scholarships because they have to take care of their little siblings. 
God knew that I could turn that, pa- that sadness and those experiences into a passion for supporting immigrants, even before I did, just as he knew that Moses would be a great leader before Moses could have ever, ever considered it himself. Now, I know you're probably dying to hear what happened that day at the detention center. In my doubt and in my anxiety, I had a super awkward conversation. The man I spoke to was about my dad's age. He was from Venezuela, and his final trial was the next day. He was likely going to be deported, and I don't know what the situation is now, but at the time of this conversation took place, if a person was deported from the U.S. back to Venezuela, they became stateless. They were not allowed back into Venezuela. These people had literally nowhere to go. This guy had a successful career, a couple young kids. He'd just gotten caught in the wrong place at the wrong time in the middle of a horrible domestic conflict. He had no interest in ever coming to the United States until he was exiled from Venezuela and didn't know what to do but try to seek asylum here. He'd spent the previous six months walking from Venezuela to the U.S. border only to be thrown in prison when he arrived. As he told me his story, I had no idea what to say or do. I felt my anxiety build, and in my already broken Spanish, I tried to ask him some questions about what Venezuela was like and what his favorite food was, and it was bad. It was inappropriate, and I was so embarrassed. But that day, I left with a fire within me. I somehow knew that I needed to keep pushing, keep chasing that burning bush, keep showing up at the detention center to see what God had for me there, even though it really didn't make sense and it was very uncomfortable. I could tell you stories from my experiences at the detention center all day. But as I wrap up, I'd like to end with this. It was life-changing. And the things that I learned about God's character and my character and who he made me to be in that period of my life all came from those difficult, doubt-filled experiences in front of that window. So what is it for you? What's your burning bush? What scary, distant thing do you feel oddly attracted to? Why do you feel attracted to it? What risk makes you scared? As the band comes back up, I'd like us to consider that whether it's something like saying yes to a last-minute opportunity to step out of your comfort zone, or walking into an unknown environment to sit with people whose experience is not your own, or whether you're looking at a new opportunity in your job or with your family or at your home, I think Moses' experience and mine both point to the same truth about our God. And that truth is that no matter how loud the inner critic gets, no matter how intense that I'm not enough voice gets, You are enough to face the challenges that are in front of you. God knit us together before we were born, and God gives us opportunities to grow out of the challenges that arise out of our own curiosities, our passions, our experiences, no matter how difficult. So what is it? What's your burning bush? What are you chasing? What is drawing you in? As I lead us into a time of communion, That's the question I'd like us to consider. At Discovery, we celebrate communion every week. And to me, it's always a reminder of God's grace. God sacrificed his son for us so that we don't have to be perfect. God loves us no matter what we've done or what's been done to us. 
And that's the truth that gives us the freedom to chase those nudges towards scary, unsure, exciting new possibilities. As we receive communion together today, if you're a follower of Christ, I encourage you to thank God for the freedom that his sacrifice allows us and ask him what he'd like you to do with it. What is God drawing you to right now? What burning bush will you chase? And if you're skeptical or if you don't consider yourself to be a follower of Christ, I encourage you to think about the things that you're passionate about. Why do you think you're passionate about those things? Where do those passions come from? Let's not receive communion together. At Discovery, we partner with lots of amazing organizations that are chasing their own callings, their own burning bushes, and I would like to take time now to pray for some of them. Today, I'm going to pray for Hope Kids, which is a wonderful organization that I actually got the chance to serve with this week. Hope Kids supports families of children who are experiencing life-threatening medical challenges. These families are going through the hardest times of their life, and you're welcome to join me in praying for Hope Kids or you can choose another of Discovery's partners to pray for. Or you can pray for an organization that you know of that Discovery doesn't have any relation to at all. God, we thank you for Hope Kids. Thank you for the amazingly successful fundraiser that they had this week. Lord, you continue to provide, and it is such an honor to watch that, to watch you work through Hope Kids. Lord, as this fundraiser opens new opportunities for Hope Kids board of directors and staff and volunteers, I pray that you give them wisdom and guidance to support the families well. Give these families and everybody else involved with Hope Kids joy and peace and calm in their lives. God, we thank you. Amen. At Discovery, we support our partners through prayer, and we also support them financially. When we give generously, our partners are able to do wonderful things in their communities all around the world. For example, some of our partners grow community gardens, host youth camps, and hold church services. If you'd like to support or join Discovery in supporting our partners, there are several ways to do so. You can visit the Church Center app. You can visit dc2.me gives online. Or you can use the black boxes by the exits of this room. We so appreciate your continued generosity. Now, before the band closes our service in worship, I'd like to share a poem by St. Teresa Avila that I think is very relevant to what we're talking about today. It's called Christ Has No Body. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. 
yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours.